Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Behind the Tour, part two of episode 31, Stops Along the Underground Railroad. Well, joining me again for part two is Krista Wenzel and Jay Prophet. Hey, guys, welcome back. Hey, Aaron. Good to, good to be back. Hey. Yeah, this is awesome. How did you guys feel about last week's episode, and what do the listeners have to look forward to today? Well, man, I thought it was amazing. Um, you know, even things that I knew, I didn't really know in this perspective, especially Jay's story about the Pearl. That was just fascinating. And, yeah, that was great. Um, you know, I'll never, yeah, I'll never cross over the Potomac River without thinking of that now again. It was just absolutely amazing. Well, and it just makes me think, Krista, that a lot of the places that we go to on tour, again, we just, we don't know all the history, all the stuff that's gone on in and around the sites that we go to. So it's a lot of fun uh, to get to learn new things. And the Underground Railroad has kind of been uh, part of that in my learning curve here. Yeah, it's just uh, quite a reminder of how history is such um, an onion of sorts, where there's so many layers that you can peel off. And this is a a topic I think that's really uh, relevant to today because so many people are, you know, looking back at this time in history and trying to figure out um, a lot of things about the enslaved people. And one of the things that was interesting to hear about was how they estimate like maybe over 100,000 enslaved people were able to get to freedom from like 1810 to 1850. Because one of you mentioned that a lot of these uh, travels along the Underground Railroad were done one or two people at a time. So that's a lot of trips that people made, you know, that were done under very dangerous and uh, probably scary situations. Yeah. And there were constantly new people and new uh, stations and safe houses along the way, too, that were popping up. Absolutely. Well, and too, like it makes you just look that you know, these tours and going, you know, even with behind the tour, the name of this podcast, it, there's so much more than just even what meets the eye when you're going to these places that, you know, kind of the secrecy that they had was almost so secret that today we're still discovering and we'll never fully know the full story of some of these people because they didn't write down everything. And, you know, even the fact, I think Jay, you had mentioned that, or Aaron, I can't remember who had said this last week, had talked about how the people that have been recorded, the person who wrote it down destroyed it so that they would never be caught out. And so it's amazing to look and go, these estimates are phenomenal with over 100,000, but each one of those had a miraculous and crazy story. It's just amazing. Well, and a lot of them were kept hidden or even secret until after the Civil War ended. We are definitely just scratching the surface. I mean, there are so many stories that could be told. And we were just trying to highlight, you know, some of them along the places that we actually do tours at. Well, if you guys are ready, let's uh, let's finish up some of the stories and the the, uh, other locations that we're going to talk about here in episode two. Uh, You guys ready to hop in? Absolutely. Aaron, I think you have a great story coming up for us, don't you? I do, yes. Yeah, sounds great. Let's go. All right. Guys, I've got one. Uh, Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. And uh, Harper's Ferry, for for our listeners, is uh, we we often visit Harper's Ferry on a lot of our tours, uh, and it's just it's it's an amazing place to be. But just a quick story uh, within the context of the Underground Railroad. Harper's Ferry has multiple associations with the Underground Railroad, but most significant are the Armory, Ground, and the Engine House. 
where abolitionist John Brown, I'm sure we've all heard the name John Brown, there's even a college named after him right now. In 1859, there was a raid there that unfolded, and uh, John Brown attempted and failed to seize weapons, and he was an abolitionist, uh, but he he attempted to to seize weapons from the National Armory uh, to really kind of gin up local and regional support uh, to start a war on slavery and free thousands of enslaved persons throughout the South. So he had some pretty big, he had a pretty big vision. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if it was exactly the right way to go, but prior to the Civil War, this area was really still part of Virginia. Now, several escapes from slavery around Harper's Ferry are documented through uh, local newspaper reports. And it's interesting to me, you guys, because a lot of the information on the Underground Railroad uh, didn't come out until after the Civil War. A lot of the details because uh, of its secretive and clandestine nature and different things trying to stay hidden. Then it it found its way to the local uh, newspaper reports. And many of these uh, stories took place in the point area uh, of the town where the Potomac and the Shenandoah rivers converge. Again, it's just a beautiful place. But when the town was occupied by the Union forces during the Civil War, escapees who passed into Union lines seeking protection were designated as a prize of war or contraband. And they were detained in a contraband camp at the former armory here. Uh, which was an enclosure in a building, they were placed on work details for the U.S. quartermaster. Uh, According to United States military records, the Freedmen's Bureau's operation reports in West Virginia document African-American lives on the road to freedom. So they have documented quite a bit of this. These and many other escaped African-American stories are integrated in the National Park at Harper's Ferry. Well, Jay, why uh, why don't you give us another one? I'm going to call you one from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Some of you have been up there to Amish country. And this is uh, where a lot of the plain people live. But there was a family there back in the late 1700s by the last name of Gibbons. And they they were hiding freedom seekers way back in the late 1700s that were coming through. So this Daniel, he grew up there helping his father. And then in 1815, he married this lady named Hannah Weirman, and she was part of a Quaker family near Gettysburg, and they built a home, and it was known as the Underground Railroad House. And it was by a bunch of beech trees, so it became known as Beechdale. And you can actually see a sign for that on some of the Amish country tours we do. There's a little sign that says Beechdale Farm. He was really instrumental in helping plot the movement of fugitives and a lot of them would come up through Maryland uh, along the Susquehanna River, and they'd cross over into Lancaster County. And then he would direct them to different places on their way to Canada. And none of the slaves that they helped escape to freedom were ever recaptured. So they were pretty excited about that. But they did have, um, after the Fugitive Slave Law, they did have slave hunters come out to their farm actually looking for slaves. And one time, Daniel was talking to a uh, you know a slave hunter at the front door, and the Hannah, the wife, she hid her uh, she hid the enslaved lady um, under a barrel, and they never found her. And then later uh, in the summer of eighteen thirty five, they did come back and they found three escaped 
slaves on their farm and they took them to the Lancaster jail and they were going to ship them all back down to the south. And during the night, the county sheriff um, let the ladies out. And so they, um, you know, got them out of there as quick as possible. But a guy that really started to work a lot with Daniel Gibbons was a man named Thaddeus Stevens, who had just come up from Gettysburg. He was a lawyer and he would soon become a U.S. representative. You may want to read about him, but he's known as the father of the 14th Amendment. And he was really instrumental in directing people to the Gibbons farm. So as they'd come through, um, he his whole network uh, would help you know, shuttle people over to the Gibbons and they would get people out of there. And one last thing really quickly, um, Daniel was 75 years old when the Fugitive Slave Law came into effect. And he burned the names of all the fugitives that he had helped because he didn't want, you know, their names to be found. But he did not stop his operations, uh, even though the federal law, you know, gave these hunters free reign to look in your house or look around for slaves. And his granddaughter said that when the fugitive slave law was passed, her grandfather, Daniel said, I have made up my mind to go to jail. And he died in 1852. Man, that's amazing. Well, Jay, that was awesome. Uh, One last place that I'd like to touch on uh, as far as a uh, uh, kind of a main figure within the context of, the Underground Railroad movement was Harriet Beecher Stowe, um, and we've mentioned her a number of times now, but the Harriet Beecher Stowe house where she lived was uh, the home of the Beecher family, of course, uh, from the 1830s to 1850. And Lyman Beecher, a nationally uh, kind of a renowned, famous minister, was the first president of Lane Theological Seminary and was very supportive of anti, anti-slavery anti measures. And his daughter, Harriet, who came to Cincinnati with her family to live and to teach, heard a lot of stories about the Underground Railroad from abolitionists. Well, Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote an anti-slavery novel called Uncle Tom's Cabin. We've mentioned that before in 1852, uh, which really uh, became a national flashpoint almost overnight. Um, And uh, I would even say that hastened the the timing of the Civil War. Well, Stowe began writing this novel of hers based on the events that she heard from a lot of the members of the Underground Railroad. So a really important lady, a real important book. And her book sold over 300,000 copies Mm -hmm. Uh, in the first year. Can you imagine that? Uh, And Stowe's book really opened people's eyes. And I'd encourage our listeners to read it. Um, I'd encourage anybody to read it. Uh, But it really opened a lot of people's eyes to the the slaves suffering, and especially just the inhumanity of slavery. Um, And by the outbreak of the Civil War, uh, the book had actually sold over a million copies. So there were a lot of people a lot of people that were reading it back then, and uh, again, I, I would believe that God used this to open a lot of people's eyes as to the institution of slavery in America. Well, and in 1850, there was about 24 million people who lived in America. And so think of not every person who read it would have bought it either, so they would maybe read it and then pass it along and start to look very easily 
how many people that that percentage, you know, because again, a million people today, you know, means relatively little when we have 400 million people who live in America, you know, if there's a million views on a YouTube site or on an Instagram post, that's individuals who view it. Whereas this is a book that is being sold and it's being passed from person to person. That's huge, huge. Speaking of Harriet, we have another Harriet that Krista, you're going to talk about now in this next segment called Behind the Person. So who is this Harriet? Well, we're going from one Harriet to another. We are now going to be talking about Harriet Tubman. Probably, I would assume for the majority of our listeners, we are all familiar with Harriet Tubman. Um, She was known as the Moses during the Underground Railroad. She was influential. She was impactful. And I think it's just amazing when you look at the significance of one person's life and what they can really bring to not only helping free people, but really the morale of the nation at that point. Everyone knew about Harriet Tubman. Uh, She just had such an amazing story. So her start was around 1820. Uh, You know, it's hard to look and go exactly what her birth date was because they didn't, she was a slave. She was born into slavery. They didn't, you know, really take copious notes on those kinds of things. So they assume around 1820 was when she was born and she was born into slavery, like I said. And um, earlier I talked about how Harriet had kind of grown into this form of slavery where she wasn't a field worker. She was working within the family unit. And so being around the family, one could argue, depending on the family unit, could be a lot worse than working in the field. And in Harriet's instance, I would gather that it would be as she was the one who um, she was hired out to take care of the children. So she had babies that she would take care of. And if they would cry, like I'd mentioned earlier, she would literally be beat if they heard one cry Um, so much to the point that she would just, just have those extra layers of clothing on just because she knew that it would be coming because it's a baby, you know, a baby is going to cry. And so it was just kind of that horrible punishment day after day, but also just the mental ability that that would have. So she was outside one day and one of the foremen threw a steel, basically like a big steel ball of some kind at one of the other slaves. However, Harriet's head got in the way and it gave her a huge amount of brain trauma. They left her for a few days where she was not cared for, um, a fractured skull. And for the rest of her life, she dealt with horrible headaches. Like we're not talking a cup of coffee can take care of this one. Headaches that were debilitating. And it's interesting because I think a lot of historians are like, well, that's where she got her visions. You know, she thought she saw visions and she got it from her head trauma. That's not the case. She knows that God would come and speak to her through these visions that she had had, visions of freedom. And so she ended up eventually getting married. Um, She got married to a man with the last name of Tubman. And when she um, found out that there would be some of her family that'd be selling, be sold off, she decided, you know what, me and my brothers are going to go north. And her husband wasn't going to go with. And so as I started to go, Harriet ended up being the only one to escape to freedom through the Underground uh, Railroad. And it's an amazing story, just the harrowing, you know, that anxiety, you know, the hide and seek factor, much less, you know, just the reality of being cold. It was the middle of the night, not knowing where you're going, not knowing if you can actually trust that white person. Because up until that point, you're only as a slave, your only interaction with white people would be very negative to you as a black person. So all of a sudden you're being told everything that you had kind of grown up with these preconceived notions. 
you have to trust this person. And she did. And she eventually made it to freedom in Philadelphia. And why she's so significant is, you know, a lot of people would think, hey, I made it to freedom, did it, like, hoorah, let's, you know, go with freedom. She went back into help people escape for, uh, from their slavery several times. And she became a beacon, a voice. She would um, come up with these elaborate disguises to go help people. She went back to go get her husband. Yeah, he had, it'd been a couple of years. He had remarried, assumed that she was dead and he didn't want to go with her. And she's like, all right, I'm going to go by myself. Then she eventually did get remarried. So that's nice for her. But at that point, um, you know, there's, there's different stories that say how many people she actually rescued, how many, um, how many trips she made. Um, it's anywhere from 13 to 19 trips documented. So, um, the low end is 13. They assume that there may have been a few more, but the low end is 13 and up to 300 people that she personally helped rescue. The, documented people is just over 70, but they assume there might be some that were missed out. They don't know exactly, but they're thinking it is exactly like right around 70 that she helped um, escape to freedom, which again is huge. She wasn't only just like helping people go back and forth. There's a story of this one um, when the Fugitive Slave Act had happened up in New York, she had heard about this one man who had had escaped and he got caught. So he was brought to trial as they're at the trial, um, he tried to escape jumping out of a second story building to escape to his freedom. And she goes, oh, she knew in her heart. She's like, all right, all right, this guy can do it. We can do this. So she stood at the bottom of the stairs of the courthouse after he had been told, you're going back to slavery. He was coming down the stairs with two officers. She was in a disguise because she's very well known at this point. She was in her disguise and hunched over like she's a little old lady. Well, as they came down the stairs, she threw off her clothes and grabbed this man and they started running and running through this crowd full of hundreds of people. Well, the officers we're like, what do you think you're doing? They started beating Harriet and this man so bad that they were both had blood pouring, pouring off of their faces. Harriet started screaming to the crowd. You guys, you have to help us. We have to, are you going to let this happen? You have to help us. Are you going to let this happen? She just kind of kept screaming. Well, eventually the crowd swept them away while keeping the officers back and they found their freedom. Eventually it was like, just, it, that wasn't the end of the story either. Like she they had to like go through the night and you know, all these things. And this was in New York. She had to get them up to Canada now at this point. So just kind of these stories that, you know, you think of like, Oh, Harry Tubman was the Moses of, of the Underground Railroad. And, you know, it's just kind of this like, yay, haha, you know, great story. But just the amount of personal perseverance physically, I mean, just the physicalness of it, but also you can go just the perseverance of going time after time, she was in harm's way, but she did not stand down because she, she would be walking through getting people escaping through Maryland. And she would hear a whisper from the Lord and it'd say, go down into the ditch right now. And for no reason, what seemed like a safe, safe place, she would go down into the ditch and then these hunters would go by and they would be safe. Countless stories like that. And I kind of like her too, because she was a little bit plucky in the sense that she carried a gun with her. Like she's always known to have a gun and her gun. (laughs) (laughs) I love this. Her gun was not to shoot at anyone trying to get them. Her gun was to keep the people she was escaping with, with her. She said, if you guys try to go away, I'm going to shoot you because she knew that she would, that those people would then rat them out and they'd be able to trace them back to where they were. And so it was kind of, she never had to use the gun, but I like that she had it. Maybe she would have, I don't know. And her claim to fame is she never lost one person 
on her routes to freedom. So it's just absolutely amazing. After um, after the Civil War started, she went down to South Carolina at this one hold that the uh, Union had gotten right away during the Civil War, and she was the first woman to lead an action, an actual like combat of action into enemy territory, and she got seven hundred black people. She they like were in action and they're shooting and fighting, and she led seven hundred black men to freedom. It's just amazing. So wow. her story, wow. yeah, I mean, you can go on and on. Her story is just amazing. She lived until 1913. After she was, um, you know, after the Civil War, she remarried to someone who was in the Army. And when he died, she finally got a pension. She never got a pension before that. She got a pension for being a widow. Um, and she helped a lot with the suffragette movement. She thought it was wrong that in 1870, Black men could vote, but Black women could not vote. So she helped with that. Susan B. Anthony. I mean, it's amazing how it all ties together. So it's just fascinating so do you guys have any questions about harriet tubman that i may or may not know probably don't (laughs) awesome chris that's good so good good. well and you know uh harriet tubman lived to be 92 years old yes um so it's it's amazing all all these things that she lived through uh into her older years and after the civil war she actually helped uh, start schools Mm -hmm. for freed slaves and uh, their their kids but something that I, th- I thought was kind of cool, too, is she had a biographer in 1868 uh, write about her. And uh, Harriet Tubman related, uh, she said this, she says, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. I always told him, I trust, I trust you. I don't know where to go or what to do, but I expect you to lead me. Hmm. And he always did. Oh, I love it. Well, and what's amazing, too, is that I don't know. I think it's historians, right? Like we always look at history and, you know, I kind of like compartmentalize like sections of history. And, you know, that was Underground Railroad, Civil War kind of there. Well, in um, for one of Queen Victoria's in England, one of her birthdays, she invited Harriet Tubman over for her birthday party. Harriet could not get the funds together. So um, she was sent by Queen Victoria. She sent her over this like very priceless shawl. Like, I think this was like in the late 1800s, like 1898, right in there, sent her over a shawl and then a medal of freedom, like this very precious medal. And Harriet Tubman was actually buried with that medal because it meant so much to her. It's just like just a phenomenal story. So many little stories. Final fact about Harriet Tubman, maybe about the whole story of this, you know, overarching thing. A lot of our tours don't go to sites where Harriet Tubman really was. Um, You know, we can't go to the bush where she hid. We don't know where that is. We don't know if it's still there. We don't know these things. But for our listeners, one way that you can be connected to the Harry Tubman story is next time you're outside at night, I want you guys to look up. The North Star was the guiding star of all of these travels. There were even songs that were created, the old drinking gourd, um, and that you know, is a reference to a drinking gourd would be like a ladle. And so the ladle is the Big Dipper. If you guys have ever looked up and seen the Big Dipper in the sky, you can see that. If you go five lengths down, you can find the North Star. And so the legend was, and even the song about the old gourd, was that you would be following the North Star to true north and to true freedom. And so Harriet Tubman, very often, it's even called like North Star to Freedom Trail. She would follow the North Star and these people, a lot of times they wouldn't have these physical, um, you know, these physical things that they could follow, but you could always follow the North Star. And if it was a cloudy night, you would just look for dead trees. Why would you look for dead trees? That's a weird thing because moss grows on the North side of a tree always. And so you would be able to find your way 
just head north, just head north. And so um, Harriet would talk often about how she'd follow the North Star. But like you were saying, Aaron, her true North Star was really the voice of God. So just a neat lady and just an amazing story of perseverance and, um, you know, any other great word that you could think of to describe someone who is just an influential figure in history. Very cool. All right, everyone, it's time for our call to action. And on each episode of Behind the Tour, we would like to leave our listeners with a call to action to consider. So the story of the Underground Railroad today uh, reminds me of the intense struggle uh, that enslaved people in the United States went through to to reach freedom and safety. Uh, Many enslaved people, for numerous reasons, were not able to take the risk uh, or uh, to make the perilous journey necessary to get to their freedom. Well, often on our tours, students traveling with us have strong emotions uh, when they encounter the stories of slavery in America. However, in our condemnation of the past, it is sometimes easy to overlook the enslavement Uh, that has taken place in our world today in different forms of slavery, um, emotionally and not just physically. Well, our call to action is for us to understand that the enslavement of people is happening today all over the world and even in the United States in many shapes and forms. Now, most people refer to this enslavement as trafficking, and it takes place in many forms from labor trafficking where people are forced to work in different industries Uh, and agriculture or sex trafficking. And American Christian Tours would recommend people to look at ways to contribute to an end of the trafficking of people today. Uh, There are very few people who are aware that we have 21 to 45 million people enslaved all over the world today. And like Aaron had said, many of those people are right in our backyards. Um, There are studies today that show that if you have people in a community, there might be trafficking going on. And we don't take that as something that, you know, that's heavy. That's a heavy call. But there are ways that we can help and there are ways that we can look to go. We look at people in history as, you know, I can't believe they didn't do something. And heaven forbid that we ever be um, told that we could have been doing something when we didn't. We are pleased to introduce a faith-based organization that focuses on rescuing children from this horrible atrocity of human trafficking. Destiny Rescue and their Rescue Op 1 $20 mission is a fundraising opportunity created for students to make a difference in the lives of children trapped in human trafficking today. The links are going to appear in our podcast notes, but just know that they are working today to end trafficking by having people, our communities, come together to try to contribute to help those people out. They've been all over the world in ways that they that I could never even go into these areas to help people escape from trafficking and give them aftercare as well, because so many people don't even realize the the physical part as well as the mental part of coming out, the mental atrocity that's been done to them to come out of slavery. They need so much aftercare. So Destiny Rescue and the Rescue Op One $20 mission have just given us a challenge that we can help out in ending slavery today so that we're not looked upon as the people who didn't help, but we can be the next Harriet Tubman's, the Harriet Beecher Stowe's, the great people who helped out in the 1800s and their form of slavery that we can help out today. Um, One thing that we talked about, Aaron and Jay and I, before we even started was the law ended in 1865, the law that ended us having um, slavery happen. 
but that didn't mean that slavery ended. It made it illegal, but didn't necessarily have it be ended. So today we are all called upon to, uh, you know, to have that call to action, to rise up and help out where we had. Yeah, Krista, thank you so much for communicating that uh, very succinctly. And we do support and even love to partner with um, Destiny Rescue. Well, Krista, thank you so much. And Jay, Krista and Jay, thank you so much for joining me today on this podcast where we talked about the Underground Railroad. We hope that it was informative. And Jay, Krista, you guys are going to be back, right? Yeah, we'll be back someday, Aaron. Yeah, we'll be back. You never. It's kind of like you never know. It's like Mary Poppins. Whenever the wind changes, then we'll... <laughs> an east wind will come on in. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you, Krista and Jay. And thank you, listeners, for joining us today. And as always, remember that your story is a part of his story. God puts you here and now for such a time as this. We'll see you next time. <laughs>